Good morning again. Morning. morning. Doesn't happen very often. I get to get up here and preach on a Sunday morning. And uh, uh, if you're here this morning and you're a guest, I want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. My name is Jeffrey, and uh, I'm the student pastor here. I have the privilege. God allows me to be the student pastor here. But like I said, it doesn't happen very often that I get to preach on a Sunday morning. But I am thankful and grateful for that. I'm thankful and grateful for a pastor who's faithful. Who's, who's here each and every week to, to, to fulfill the pulpit and be in the pulpit and be that example of faithfulness. Um, we need that in our church. We need that uh, from our leadership. And, and he, he exhibits that. And so uh, I'm thankful and grateful for that. As he was saying last week, uh, we didn't know it was Pastor Appreciation Week. We didn't know it was Pastor Appreciation Day. We didn't know it was Pastor Appreciation Month. And then they called us up on the stage and, and uh, we just feel extremely humbled um, to, to, to uh, even be able to serve. Uh, our Lord and Savior. Uh, and uh, the fact that uh, y'all showered gifts on us, uh, I don't know where they came from, I don't know who gave, I don't know who did what, but just thank you so much uh, for what, what you did and what you gave and what, what we were able to be blessed with. And so thankful for our pastor, thankful for this opportunity. And uh, the good news is uh, I didn't make it through my sermon in the first, uh, first session uh, this morning, uh, and I'm not going to make it through it again the second one, uh, but I'll be back next week. So I get to preach two weeks in a row and, and give our, our pastor a little break here. Again, he just made it through a church series that was like 89 points long, and I think he only took two weeks off for me and Jaron to preach one time, and so he, he deserves a little break, I guess. And so, But I, I, I am excited to be here this morning. There's a, an old gospel song that I like listening to, and it's called Soul Filling Station. And this morning, I pray that you came in here ready to be filled. Uh, again, to, to give your all for God, but for allow him to fill you up, for this place to be a soul filling station. And uh, what I need this morning is what uh, Carrie Underwood said, Jesus, take the wheel. And, and for him to take this and steer this and guide this. And not only did Carrie Underwood say, Jesus, take the wheel, but there's another guy named Tadashi, and he said, Jesus, get in, take the wheel, get behind the wheel, and flip that thing in sport mode, and let's go. And so that's what I want Jesus to do this morning, him to come in here, fill this place, fill our hearts, fill this place with spirit, and, and prepare us for what we're going to face in this life, in this world, uh, because it is a mess out there. It is an absolute mess, and I think we could all agree when we when we open up our phones and we start scrolling through, through, through headlines and different things that, that we just see a mess. You can, you can scroll and you can see Biden did this and Trump said this and the FBI didn't do this and, and, and Pfizer says this and then there's another virus on the horizon and there's a tsunami over here and a hurricane there and, and this and that and it's just this constant bombardment. And so this morning, I hope and pray as we're filled with this word that we will be anchored, that we will be rooted, that we will be grounded in truth. And so this morning, I want to talk about being anchored in truth. And I want to read a, a set of scripture as a, as a way of introduction. And then we will pray and get in this. And so the scripture I want to start with this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writing to the church at Corinthians says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, and like I said this morning, I hope and pray that this is an encouragement to each one of us. I don't want us to walk out of this room, walk out of this place to be unaware of what the enemy is coming after us with. 
what, what, our, what, our, what our own flesh that wars inside of us is, is trying, to, trying to do and, 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 and corrupt this, this, this new nature, this new heart that we've been created. The Bible says that we're to, to mortify this flesh daily. I don't want us to be unaware of the world and how it's, it's constantly bombarding us with noise and mess. And so Paul says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, for, for our fathers were all under the cloud and, and all passed through the sea. And so Paul begins to tell them about the people that went, came before him, these examples that were left for them. He says, they came from, by the cloud and they passed through the sea, the Red Sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as an example for us. These things, these stories, this word, this word that God has, has so perfectly preserved through the centuries. If we look back in church history and, and see how uh, attack after attack has come upon scripture, how people have tried to just completely annihilate and eradicate the word of God, God preserved it for us so that we can have these stories, so that we can have these things and look back at them and say, all right, God, this is for me. This is an example for us. And Paul sharing this story with these believers here saying, listen, I don't want you to be unaware. And so be prepared because there were some who made it through, but there were only, there were, there were a couple who made it through and the rest of them perished. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They all did these things. They all had this. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened again as an example for us so that we would not, so that, uh, so that we would not crave evil things as they crave. These things are an example so that we will not crave evil things. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, to drink, and they stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and, and, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, uh-oh, nor grumble as some of them did. Let's say that one more time. No, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened as an example and they are written for our instruction. These words, these stories, these, these, this, this amazing text that we have is for our instruction upon, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. God, I, I pray that you will again come in and, and, and fill our souls this morning, Lord. I pray that, that we would give you our all that we would be willing to clear out all the distractions and the mess and the noise for just a few moments and focus on you and rely on you and hear your word. And God, I, I pray that you would help me to articulate uh, the word of God rightly, that you would help me to, to be filled with your spirit, that you would help each one of us to be led by your spirit as we're diving into these scriptures. 
that we would look unto these examples of old and, and take them and, and use them in our lives and, and apply uh, the things that they did good and, and, and reject the things that they did bad. God, give us an overwhelming burden to be anchored, rooted, grounded in your truth, Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. We're going to give you all the praise, honor, and glory for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. It says again, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. These things, this, this parting of the Red Sea, this, 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 this uh, food that was provided for them, this raining down of manna and birds from the sky, and this, this meat that God had provided, this is an example for us, and we, we shouldn't act as some of them did. We shouldn't grumble as some of them did. And as I, I go through the Old Testament and even the New Testament, and I look at these stories, I, a lot of times I try to put myself in the context of these stories. What exactly was happening? What was taking place? What was going on around them? Who was leading at that time? What, what world powers were in play? What else, what, where else does it line up with scripture and even extra biblical text? How does all this come together in the context of the word of God? And there's one thing that I, that I often miss when I'm reading all of that. There's one thing that, that always seems to be lacking as I'm going through that. And it, it's, it's a sense of uh, a sense that we have. And it's, it's that sense of noise. It's the sense of, of I wonder what it, was, what it sounded like during that day. I wonder what, it, what, it, what, what, what people were hearing as they were, as they were uh, sacrificing animals and doing these different things. Like, what, it, what, what was that like? Was it, was it loud and chaotic or was it calm and peaceful with these things? happening. But as I read some of these stories and think back on things that were going on, and I, I, I wonder again what, what some of the noises were like. I think about Noah and his day as he's building this boat and, 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 and just the noise that's all around him, the noise that he was facing yeah, let alone from building the boat. I love building things. I'm going to be talking about building a lot today. Structures and foundations and, and cornerstones and all of this stuff. I love building and I can't imagine this construction. If any of you have been to the, to the ARG Museum there in Kansas, it, it, it is, if you like architecture, if you like this type of stuff, go just to look at it. It is simply spectacular and that's just a recreation of something that he did, but I can't imagine the noise of banging in the pegs and, and scraping the wood and, and hewing the logs and, 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 and pitching the pitch or whatever it is that you do with pitch. I don't know. He was doing it all and the noise that was going on there. But the Bible also says in Peter that he was, he was preaching this word of righteousness unto these people. And so not only was there this noise of building and clanging and, and banging and doing all of these things, but no doubt there were noise from the people around him who said, you're crazy. You're absolutely insane. It's never rained before. This isn't going to happen. Why are you building a boat in this big, giant, empty land? And, and, and I, I just can't help but think the, the pressure that he was feeling, again, the noise that was coming into his ears constantly from his family, from his friends, from his, from his, from his fellow uh, people around him in his town. He was just feeling this noise. But then I think, man, well, what kind of noise was made when the Bible says that the first drop fell from the sky? And people were like, uh-oh. And not only did that first drop 
fall from the sky. But the Bible says that the fountains of the deep burst forth. Could you imagine the noise that took place that day as some of these people were trapped in their homes and couldn't escape and screaming and screaming their last breath, taking their last gulp of air before they drowned in that, in that water. Could you imagine maybe there were some of, their, some of them there in Noah's hometown banging, beating on the side of that boat saying, you were right, you were right, let us in. But at that point it was too late because God had already slammed the door and their salvation had escaped them. Man, I can't imagine the noise that was going on during that time. And for Noah to be in there, that boat, and hear all of those things, all the animals and all this stuff. But then these people that, 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 that missed the escape, of the, uh, the, the, the way out of salvation. Man, it must have been a, a noisy, noisy time. I think about other times where maybe it's a little more quiet, a little more subtle noise. There's times where it, it seems like things are, are okay, and I thought about Abraham and Isaac. And God told Abraham to take his son and, and, and take the wood and take the rope and take the knife and, and go up on the hill and leave, leave the servants behind and, and to, to, to sacrifice his, his one and only son. And, and as I I thought about that. I thought, well, that, that probably wasn't a too noisy time. Again, I'm thinking about my son, my only son, and, and, and we joke, we laugh, we roughhouse like, like, like dads should do. We should roughhouse with our kids. There's actually statistics on that, that we should roughhouse with our kids, believe it or not. It actually helps them to grow into man. This is a little extra. I didn't say this in the last sermon, but, but guess what? You walk through the halls of, of schools right now, you know what you see? You see men, little boys walking with their hair down in their face and their hats covering their eyes and all shy. And you see these girls upright and, and confident. What's happened to men? We need to get in here and roughhouse and, and, and make these boys be men. Sorry, that was free. Uh, but I imagine none of that was going on this day. Imagine it was, it was pretty silent walking up that hill as he took that rope and the sticks and made it just so for the sacrifice. And, and we probably could hear every snap of the twig when, when Isaac laid down on that bed there, that, that altar, that sacrificial altar, tied him up. I imagine it was pretty silent like it is right now. He could, hear that knife just being raised up, but then a glorious noise happened. There was a, there was a, a ram rustling in the thicket, and the angel said, I've provided a sacrifice. I've provided a sacrifice. Loose your son, and, and, and that will be the sacrifice in his stead. And man, I... I I, I just can't help but think about all the noises that we face that, that are constantly bombarding our senses every single day and, and trying to seep in and, and penetrate in our hearts and our minds and, 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 and get us so that we're not anchored on the truth anymore. Well, there's one last noise I'd like to talk about, and this is probably the worst of all. I can't imagine what the noise is going to be like in hell. What the noise is going to be like in hell. We, we talk about, about the, the, the lake of fire and the burning and the sulfur and the brimstone, but we also say, the Bible also says there is going to be weeping 
and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And this isn't just one person. This isn't just a few people. No, the Bible says that there is a a narrow road that leads to everlasting life. But there is a broad road that is full of people that leads to destruction. And so I don't think it's just a few. I don't think it's just a couple. I think it's billions and billions and billions of people that are going to be internal torment of flames, weeping and wailing and gnashing of their teeth. Can you imagine the noise that's going to be in hell? It's a horrific thought. But in stark contrast to that, to that noisy, noisy hell, there is going to be a beautiful sound in heaven. Maybe there's someone here today who, who still hasn't placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who still thinks they can just make their way by by doing good things and 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 they're, they're maybe even okay if they end up in hell. Maybe they've heard people describe it as, as a party and they're just going to go down there and party up with their friends and, and get drunk and party it up with Satan. No, that's, not, that's not what Scripture says. That's not true. But in heaven, it's the exact opposite. We're going to be in a throne room of God singing a new song with thousands of ten thousands and thousands of angels surrounding this throne, and it's going to be a glorious new song. It's going to be a spectacular new song. That's what we have as the redeemed. That's what we have as the saints. And so if you're here this morning and you've never heard about what God did for you, God the Father, God God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And guess what? God the Father says, I love you so much. I am going to send God the Son so that he can be that sacrifice. In the midst of all this noise, in the midst of all this stuff, there is going to be a ram in the thicket in the form of my son. And he's going to come to this earth, and he did. And Jesus, God the Son, came to this earth. And the Bible says that he lived a a perfect sinless life because he is God. And, And not only did he live a sinless life, Jesus, this God the Son, said, my blood is the payment for your sins. Jesus said that his blood was the payment for my sins. And he died on that cross, on the tree, just like that, that, that noise of that ram in that thicket. I think about that noise of three nails being driven through his hands and his feet, and, and he did that for me. He shed his blood on that cross for me. He died on that cross for me, and the Bible says not only did he die and be buried in a borrowed tomb, but he rose again on the third day. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, by grace are you saved through faith. And if you're here this morning and you've never heard that story, you've never placed your faith and trust and, and all this noise has just been bombarding you, that is the truth. Just last week, I was talking to a young man right down here in the center of this aisle who says, I don't know what the truth is. So for us Christians, we must be anchored to this truth. And we have to go out and share it because there are people right here in our community. We're going to get to that next week because we're not going to make it through this week. Practical things that we can do when we're anchored to the truth. But there are people right here in our community who even sometimes walk through this door. And we have an opportunity to sit there and tell them about this truth because we're anchored, we're rooted, we're grounded in this truth. And so as I was looking back and thinking in all all these stories and all the noise, uh, I came across a, a scripture that I had to share. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. 
2 Kings chapter 18, we're going to read about a king named Hezekiah. And if you've done any studying over the book of Kings or even read the book of Kings and Chronicles, you know that, that, it, that it started out with, well, it started out with the people complaining. Again, you actually have to back up to Samuel to find this, but, but it started with the people grumbling. And God said, fine, if you're going to grumble, I'm going to give you what, I, what you want. And so what the, the people wanted was, was what the world was saying they needed. They saw the world. They heard the noise. And as God's chosen people, they said, we don't want you, God. We want our own king. And so God said, fine, I'm going to give you a king. But be prepared. They're going to come in. They're going to take your women. They're going to take your children. They're going to take your land. They're going to take your money because I am your only God. I should be the only king in your life. But if you want it, fine, have it. And so God established the first king. He, he, he anointed King Saul. King Saul didn't take very long. He messed it all up. God anointed the second king, King David, the man after God's own heart. David he began to set everything up and get everything prepared for the, for the temple. He passed it on to his son Solomon. And Solomon uh, eventually died, and his son Rehoboam took over. And from there, the, 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 the kingdom split into a northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. As you go through the book of Kings and you read about the, 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 the kingdom of Judah, you find that the vast majority of the kings were evil, were wicked. They, they, they had chose to have a king over them that wasn't God. And then they let the noise and the mess of the world just continue to penetrate their hearts and their minds. And they refused to be anchored in the truth. And I'm thankful and grateful that God leaves good examples for us in his word also. Because that's what we see in King Hezekiah. Out of all this wickedness, his father that went before him, his grandfather that went before him, others that went before him, and the Bible, we're about to read it, none other were like King Hezekiah. And so in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Allah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. And he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father David had done. We know that David's not his actual father, but one of his forefathers, one that's gone before him. But he did right. After this man that was after God's own heart, he did right in the sight of the Lord. You understand, Hezekiah was facing pressures from every single side. He was facing pressure at home. He had the example of a poor father. He, he had the example of a poor grandfather. He, 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 he had the, the people in, in his court, no doubt, telling him, hey, this is the way we do it. We, we go and we worship these idols. We go up to these high places and we do wicked, deviant, sexual acts. This is the way we do it. This is the way we operate in this kingdom. And this king said, no, I am anchored. I am rooted. I am grounded on the truth. And I am going to, to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. With all this pressure, there was one final pressure that, 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 that King Hezekiah was facing, and that was during this time, the Assyrians were the world empire. 
The Assyrians were the world empire, and they had a wicked king named Sennacherib. And Sennacherib was, was, was just out to take over every piece of land he could, like, like, a, like a good world empire does, I guess. I don't know. Let's just destroy them all for no reason, because we need every piece of land. We need everyone under our subject and authority. Well, at this point, they hadn't quite taken over the land, but they had their thumb on them. They had their oppression on them. And, 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 and this is what King Hezekiah came into, and yet he said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to stand on truth. I'm going to stand for what's right. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Verse 4, and he removed those high places that we mentioned earlier, those places of idol worship and, and deviant and wicked sexual acts, and he broke down the sacred pillars, and he cut down the Asherah, and he broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made because it became a idol because the people were so wicked for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense, incense to it and it was called Nehushtan. Verse 5. He trusted in the Lord. The Lord, the, the, the God of Israel. So that so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor among those who were before him. Listen to verse 6. For he clung to the Lord. And when I read that, that scripture there, I can't help but get, get, a, get an image of, 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 of a, a white-knuckled death grip so tight that no one's going to remove him, no thing, no external source, nothing is going to remove this man from, from his, his trusting, his, his reliance, his anchor, his root in God and his Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord God had commanded Moses. And so just like Hezekiah, when we face all kinds of noise each and every day, it is a noisy, messy world. And as Christians, we have to figure out how to navigate this. And like I said this morning, in the beginning, I hope and pray that this is something that just makes us more grounded, makes us more rooted. As we hear these words, just reaffirming what we've been taught through the years, those who have been Christians for a while, just reaffirming these, these things that, I mean, I, I got to stick with this stuff because if I don't, it's going to creep in, it's going to seep in. And before you know it, this, this foundation, this thing that I have said is going to fall. We live in a messed up, messed up world. I shared this story, I'm going to share it again, but, but there's a company called FX, and, and they, they're, they're a television company, and they, they recently came out with a show and produced the show. They had the first season of it. Uh, there's, there's debate right now on whether it's going to be canceled or whether there's going to be a second season. I don't care about any of that. All I know is they've already done this and already put it out there, and it's still out there for others to see. And here's my disclaimer. Do not go watch this show. The title of this show is called Little Demon, and it is a cartoon about this little demon. And not only is this little demon a demon, she is portrayed as the Antichrist in this cartoon. And, and, and what it is, is a, a woman here on earth had, had relations with Satan, and, and, and this girl was born, and the, and the, and the mother wanted uh, the daughter to live a normal life in Delaware, so she, she, she pulled the daughter and hid her in Delaware away from Satan, supposedly, in the cartoon. Again, I, I don't want to like play this up and make it sound, uh, it is horrible, but it, they, they say it's an adult cartoon, whatever that is. It's a cartoon. Kids are going to watch it. Our children are going to watch it. 
They're going to see it. Oh, and by the way, FX is owned by Disney. Disney owns FX. Disney is FX. And so if you're looking for another reason to, to not like Disney, there you go. And so this girl, I mean, it's horrific. It, it, I, I watched the trailer and I wish I had enough. I wish I had enough. Just horrific, vile things going on in this world, in this show, in this stuff. And people are producing this and trying to get this out there for us to see. And, 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 it, and as it goes on, it, the, the girl, she, be, she turns 13, and, and, and she goes into the restroom, and they portray her as, as starting her menstrual cycle. And then these boys from the school come in and, and kick down the door, and they get out their camera, and they start filming this girl laughing, saying it's going to go everywhere. And this girl in that moment, uh, I don't know, conjures up something, and she becomes the Antichrist, and she murders these boys right there in this, in this bathroom. The next scene cuts to her in, in some sort of place with her, with her father, Satan. And he begins laughing over what she's done. And, and he said, man, didn't it feel good? Didn't it feel good when, when, when you weren't bound by the moral truths that those on that planet try to bound you with? He said, wasn't it wonderful when you murdered those boys? And as I sat there and listened to this, my heart just broke because there are people literally writing these scripts and pumping it out for us to see, to bombard us with this evil, to bombard this world with this evil. And so again, when you have a, a young man who comes down to the center aisle and says, I don't know what to believe because there's just a mess of noise out here. We have to be anchored and rooted and grounded in this truth, established in it so we can share with them this truth. Probably the worst part well, maybe not the worst. I don't know. It was all bad. But they did an interview with the cast, and Danny DeVito plays Satan. His real-life daughter plays his daughter in the show, the, the Antichrist. And then the mother, I don't remember her name. I don't remember the actress's name. But they're doing an, uh, an interview with the whole cast, and this woman's sitting there with a little plastic pitchfork, like, like what you see at Halloween with the red horns, this, this little plastic thing. But she's growling and snarling and breathing heavy during the whole interview. And they finally make it over to her and, and they said, why, why did you do this show? What was the purpose behind this show? And she says, I'm so thankful and grateful that I have a platform, that I have an opportunity and we're able to normalize paganism. That's what I'm thankful and grateful for, the opportunity to normalize paganism. This is just, again, a small glimpse of what we're facing in our world. What's constantly bombarding our senses, and, and, and some of you, you know, you have those notifications, you have the news going, you have the things happening, it's coming through on your watch. It's, 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 it's just this constant bombardment of evil and wicked, and you hear it from your friends and, and from your kids and from your grandkids and, and from everything. And so the question is, what do we do? How do, how do we, how do we, how do we, make it through this mess, this noise that's out there. Someone put it this way, how do we dissent from the kingdom of noise and be anchored in the truth? Point number one this morning, the only point we're going to make it to, by the way, there were only two, we're not going to make it to two, just so you know. Point number one, he will, God will, Jesus will, he will be the stability of your times. He will be the stability of your times.
again, Hezekiah said, for, for I, I trust in the Lord. I cling to the Lord. And, and that's great. Yes, absolutely. I trust in the Lord. I cling to the Lord. But there, this, there is this amazing truth that not only, when, uh, not only when we do that, he's going to be there with us all the time, every time, all the time, if, 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 we're, if we're clinging to him. It says in, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 7, and the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he did not serve him. Again, I mentioned all the mess that Hezekiah was facing from his family and his friends, and, and no doubt people he grew up with, and, and different things, different pressures from, from work and from home and all of this. Yet there was this Assyrian oppression just pressing down on him. And the Bible says that he rebelled against that king, Sennacherib, and, and, and did not serve him. He says, no, as for me and my house, me and Judah, we're going to serve the Lord. And for us Christians in this room, we need to repeat those words of Joshua and say, listen, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I'm responsible for my children, for my family, me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And I challenge you, if you're here this morning, you utter those words also, me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. He rebelled against this mess. He rebelled against the noise. He rebelled against the oppression that was just seemingly crushing him down. And he said, I am not going to serve you. Verse 8, and he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza. And it is, uh, and its territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. There is more written about Hezekiah than, any, than almost any other king in the whole time of kings in, in, in Israel and Judah. He's, he's in Kings. He's in, he's in uh, Second Chronicles. And then Isaiah was the prophet during his time. You go over to Isaiah and you read all kinds of truth about this great king who said, I'm not going to bow down before this. I am going to serve the Lord. But in Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 1, it starts out giving a, a, a warning to Assyria. It starts out giving a warning to this king, Sennacherib. And he says, woe to you, O destroyer, while you were not destroyed. You, know, you think you're doing good, you're going around putting, putting, putting people under your, under your authority, woe unto you, you, you think you're getting away with this. And he who is treacherous, well, others did not deal treacherously with him. But as soon as you finish destroying you will be destroyed. As soon as you cease to deal treacherously, others will, will deal treacherously with you. And so he tells, uh, again, Isaiah, talking here and, and prophesying and, and, and making things known to Hezekiah and these others that are around, listen, this is going to come to, ha come to pass with, with Assyria. But then he goes on in verse 2, and he's talking to Hezekiah and these other believers there, those who are rooted and anchored in the truth, and he says, O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be their strength every morning. Our salvation also in the time of distress at the sound of tumult, peoples flee. At the lifting up of yourself, nations disperse. Your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers, and locusts rushing about men rush about on it. 
The Lord is exalted, uh, for, for, for he dwells on high. He hath filled Zion with, with justice and righteousness, and he is, will be the stability of your times. There it is. He will be the stability of your times. Remember, God left these stories as an example for us, and he's not just the stability of Hezekiah's time. He's not just the stability of Noah's times. He's not just the stability of, of, of Abraham's time. He's the stability in our time as well, right now, where it seems like the world is getting more and more like Noah's day. I didn't mention the mess that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, the noise that was happening there, but could you even imagine as those two angels entered into that city and lost said, no, get in my house because this place turns into an evil, wicked, sodomizing place in the nighttime. And those people came and were beating on Lot's door saying, give us these angels. And, and Lot said, no, I, I take my daughters instead. And they said, we don't want your daughters. And they began pressing on them. The angels had to pull them in through the door, slam the door behind them. Man, that's what it feels like sometimes as we try to navigate this life. It's just like we're slamming the door and trying to push these things out. And yet those angels stepped in and they blinded those people. God steps in and, and, and helps us through this mess, through this noise, through this, through this junk that we face in this world. He will be the stability of your times. He's the stability of our times. It goes on here. This is not only the stability of the times, a wealth of salvation. A wealth of salvation. Listen, we belong to a royal priesthood. You and I are, are kingdom heirs. We are prince and pieces. We are the bride of Christ. We are royalty. Can we get excited about that this morning? The fact that we're royalty of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's amazing. Not only are we royalty, but it says, he says, not only will, will, will I be the stability of your times and the wealth of your salvation, but, but I'll also grant you wisdom and knowledge. He's going to help us when these things come. When, when, the, when, this, when this wickedness, when this evil, when this, when this trash, when this filth comes our way, I'm going to grant you wisdom and knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is his treasure. In Psalm chapter 62, in verse 2, the psalmist declares, he only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. Remember I said earlier, just picturing that white knuckled fist clenching, no one was going to remove that. And he is our stronghold. I will not be greatly shaken. I love it when God's word repeats itself. I love it when he says the same thing over and over in like one verse, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, all right, now I'm paying attention. Because if you're like me, well, maybe you're not like me, but I'm a little slow. And sometimes it takes me some time to catch on. I said last time, I, I'm not the, not the brightest crown in the box or sharpest crown in the box or whatever it's supposed to be. I don't know. I'm none of those. Oh, that's you too, Kyle? Praise the Lord. I'm sorry. He's, he was pointing at himself. Uh, I'm not that. And so sometimes God repeats himself just for me, I feel like. He's like, hey, were you listening? Were you listening? Because in Psalm 62, verse 2, it says, he's my rock. And then you go to verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. I thank God that he repeats himself sometimes just for me. So that I can know this is, this is, this is my foundation. This is 
whom uh, I, I, I must rely on. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. There's a stipulation here. There's, there's, a, there's a condition here. There's something that we must do. We can't just be hearers of the word only, but we must be doers also. As a matter of fact, in the book of James, James, James says, listen, you, you, you want to show me your, your works without faith? Well, that, that's, that's not really much faith. But guess what? I'm going to show you my faith by my works. I'm going to hear God's word, and I'm going to do something about it. And so for those of us Christians in this room, listen, we must get up and do something about it. We must act on the words that he says. We must hear them and take them in and act on them and truly go and do what he says. And if you do that, he says, you may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And guess what? Then all this noise came. I was hoping it would be raining today, and I'd like really have to scream and I'd lose my voice because when the rain comes down in here it is nothing but noise. When it really starts raining you can barely hear us over the microphone the amplification but, but this is what happened. I live in a building building myself and it is just loud it's boisterous. It's just noise came. He says and the noise came the rain fell, the floods came the winds blew, it slammed against the house and yet it did not fall because it was anchored in the truth for it had been founded on the rock of Jesus. In the 1980s, there was a, was a big housing boom up in Connecticut, and they were putting in houses everywhere. And uh, my, my little brother lives up there, and I've been up there, and, and, and there's some beautiful homes up there, a bunch of different style homes. It's, it's not like here where you drive through a neighborhood and, and every fourth house is the same, and then the next house, and the next it's not. It's, 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 it's unique and, and different, and, um, uh, and so uh, I like that. And you're driving down the, hall, the highway, you don't even know there's a town there. You like slip through some woods, and then boom, there's a town. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, uh, uh, pretty area of the country. Um, but as they were building all of those houses in the 80s, they, they, they were pouring foundations, and many of those homes have basements, and, and so they were, they were digging it out, and they were, they were making preparation, and they were putting in the rebar, and they were doing everything that seemed right. Um, but sometimes, like us, we, we, we get our eyes focused on something else instead of exactly what's going on here, what's happening in the mixture, and uh, we mess it up. We, we, we don't put our foundation on, on God. We, we start building our foundation on something else. And It might seem good and strong for a little while, but just like those houses, uh, they begin to crumble. And so you see what happened was when they were making that mix, they didn't realize that a, that a poor aggregate had got into that mix. And so hundreds and hundreds of homes had been all poured from the same facility using the same mix, and some of that same aggregate had got into that mix. And so then they, they looked good. They were beautiful homes, and they looked great, but then eventually the, the walls started cracking, and the, 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 the siding started shifting, and, and they realized that the problem was down low. 
The problem was underneath. The problem was in the foundation. And, and, and what they found out was not only the problem in the foundation, but the problem was something that was, was pressing from the outside. And that pressure that was from the outside was water. And when that water started penetrating the foundation, it began to break down that, that poor aggregate that was in there. And, and eventually it just began to crumble inside itself until it just deteriorated pieces. So they began to have to jack up houses and fix them all and re-pour foundations and set it right. And, and unfortunately, that's what we do sometimes. We, 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 we get our eyes and our mind off of Christ and we start trusting in something else. We tr start trusting in someone else. We start trusting in, in, in man's wisdom or doctor's wisdom or, or the news's wisdom or, or well, the news's wisdom, that would be bad. No, somebody's wisdom other than God's. And our foundation begins to crumble and then we like look at our house and we're like what in the world is going on why is it crumbling that verse makes it very clear the only way we're going to defeat or battle this noise and the storm and the stuff that's going on is we have to have the foundation of christ the rock in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1, again, Paul writing here back to the church at Colossae, and he's been away from them for a while, and, and he can't wait to get back. He can't wait to be in the presence of these believers. He can't wait to fellowship with them. And, and as I was reading this and studying this, man, I, I, I'll admit, I was crying in my office. I normally cry every time I preach in here, and so I thought I was going to cry. Last service, I didn't cry. I'm going to try not to cry again, but, but, but I... I love this time. I love you. I, I, we love you as pastors. And, 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 and to just read Paul's heart here that he just couldn't wait to get back together with him. I can't wait for you to see my face, he says. I don't know how many of you want to see my face, but, but I can't wait to see your faces. And, 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 and Paul's just writing this. I'm like, man, that's exactly right. That's exactly how it feels. I just, just can't wait to get back together. And so verse 1, Colossians chapter 2, you almost got me. Colossians chapter 2, well, looked around and saw some of your faces, almost started to cry. Never mind. Anyways, no, looked around, saw your faces, and almost started to cry. Never mind. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining all the wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So because you have this Christ, because we're fellow believers, I can't wait to make it back to you. I can't wait to fellowship with you because you have all these treasures, wisdom and knowledge that we read about earlier that, that Isaiah said, listen, God's going to pour this out on you. He's, and, he, and he says in verse 4, 
I say this. I'm encouraging you. Just like I said in the beginning, I hope and pray that this is encouragement because I'm saying this, just like Paul's saying this, that no one or no thing will delude you with persuasive argument. We must be anchored in the truth so that we're not deluded with persuasive argument. Just like that water came and pressed in on that poor aggregate, it deluded it because it wasn't proper, it wasn't right, it wasn't the way it should be. And when we get that way, sometimes things come in and delude us, and we're taken away with persuasive argument. In verse 5, he says, For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability in your faith in Christ. Remember, he is the stability of our times, and that's what Paul longed to see when he came back to meet these Christians. As pastors in, the, in this church, man, there is nothing greater that brings us joy than when a sinner comes to salvation, and when you see these people live out stable lives, firm on the foundation of Christ, and they get it, and their families get it, and their children get it, and their grandchildren get it. There is no greater joy than to see that Paul Paul said, I can't wait to come back and see the stability you have in Jesus Christ because of you've been rooted, because you've been rooted and grounded in the truth. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been, been firmly rooted and now built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So God comes in, he instructs us, he builds us up, he, he's the one who gives us this wisdom and knowledge, and he says, and it's all because you've been firmly rooted and grounded in him. See to it, verse 8, that no one takes you captive through philosophies and empty deceptions according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather according to Christ. Make sure that no one's coming in and leading you astray with philosophy, deception, elementary principles. We have to be on guard against this as well. Why? Because in him, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells. This is the truth. This is the absolute truth. And it dwells in the body and the form in him, and you have been made complete, and he is the head and rule over all authority. And in him you are all circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's all through him that we're able to have the stability of our times. It's through his truth, it's through his word, it's through his instruction, it's through his knowledge and his wisdom that we're able to stand on this truth. And so this morning, uh, I want to leave with, with one more set of scripture to try to fill our souls just one little bit more before we leave this place. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
The moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're no longer strangers and aliens. Remember what I said earlier, man, we, we, are, we are royalty. We, we are prince and princes. We, we, are, we are the royal priesthood. This is who God says we are. We are no longer aliens and strangers to him. We're no longer foreigners or sojourners. We, we belong to him. We have eternal security and eternal salvation. It belongs, at the, it starts at that moment of salvation. He says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and, and and, and are of God's household. We're fellow saints. We're fellow citizens with those with that great cloud of witness that is that is waiting there, that is cheering us on. They can't wait till we till we make it. We're, we're fellow saints with them. And are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Like I said, God said, I'm leaving this to you as an example. We read that in the very beginning. I'm leaving this here for you example. These apostles, these prophets, these people that we get to look back to. And, and, and then Christ Jesus himself, he is that cornerstone. And it goes on and it begins talking about the church of God being this building. Being this most spectacular building. We, we, I, don't, I don't think we could even imagine a building this precious. And yet God says, I'm making this building out of you. Out, out, out of you, I'm making this building. And so he, he goes on and, and, and he says, not, not only are you fellow citizens of the saints and are of the household of God, but having been built on the foundation of the apostles and, the, and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitly to fit it, being fitted together is growing into a, a holy temple of the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I read that and I think about the saints that are in here and us coming together and fellowshipping together and just growing into this, this holy temple of the Lord, man, that gets me excited to think about how much we can accomplish for him, how much we can do for him if we're all rooted and grounded and anchored in this truth. Man, how spectacular this building will be. He says, again, fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. God is doing an amazing work in you and me and allowing us to be fitly joined together on this cornerstone if we'll do what we're supposed to do. If we'll, if we'll follow him, if we'll hear his words and do them, if we'll, if we'll, if we'll, we'll take these instructions and we'll, and we'll make them our own and live by them. God is doing this, but when we let other things creep in, the building starts to crumble a bit. And so for us, we have a, a great work to be done. We have a great work to be accomplished, and if you come back next week, I'll, I'll give some applicable things of, of, of how we can accomplish these things in our Christian life. One more thing before we go. One more story and one more thing I guess we need to be careful about is, is, is something that's been around for a long time. And uh, that is tribalism. You say tribalism? Yeah, tribalism. And unfortunately, I mean, tribalism has been around. We have the tribe of, we're talking about the tribe of Judah, Levi, uh, Benjamin. We have all these tribes. We have, we have family tribes like uh, McGregor and McDugger and, and, and all these things. We, we have all this stuff. And, but, 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 but the Bible says we should be part of, of one tribe. 
of one tribe that stands different than them all. And the, and the issue is now we've, we've, we've come into this interesting time in the world where they have a new term called neo-tribalism, which means new tribalism. And, and people become a part of a tribe for no reason. It's just like, oh man, I like that tweet. I'm part of that tribe now. I'm going to retweet it to as many people as I possibly can. I want to try to be the first person to do it so I can get credit for it. And, and this is going to be my tribe. And some of it's absolutely ridiculous, absolutely foolishness, and yet they buy into it and they're like I'm part of this tribe and you say well what, what's what's wrong with my family and, and I assure you there's there's nothing wrong with being uh, excited and, and proud of your family and and, and 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 raising them up in the in the nurture and admonition of the Lord what well, the problem is when we get into these tribes and we start excluding other people, we start, we start uh, uh, hating other people because they're not like us. We start rejecting others because they don't look like us or smell like us or taste like us or I don't know, whatever it is. I'm not promoting cannibalism. Um, but whatever it is, and that's the problem. When we, when we start having this hate and you say, well, well, well it's kind of circular reasoning. You're telling us to, to be the tribe of, of, in the tribe of Christ, but, but be careful with, with all the other tribes, all the other, like, you know, we and me and my people and this, and you're saying we are the body of Christ. Like, it's kind of circular reasoning, isn't it? Well, here's the difference. Many of those other tribes, when they get to the point where there's hatred and rejection of other people, it's not based on truth. And you say, but, but, but some of them say that it is true. Some of them say that their tribe is, is even the, the new ones and the foolish ones, they're like, no, this is truth. I really believe this. This is truth. Well, here's the, different, here's, here's the thing with truth. Truth is not just a word. And so this, this idea of us being anchored on truth, it's not just some word that we, that we, that we throw around. No, truth is not just a word. Truth is a person. Truth is the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth. He makes it clear, and that's why. That's why we can stand in this tribe. That's why we can say we belong to the body of Christ. And whoever else wants to come in this house, guess what? You can too. You must place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. And you can be part of this building, this holy temple that's being built up, rooted and grounded in him. And so here we are, Christians with this idea of, of us just facing this constant bombardment from, from all these kind of outside sources, sometimes just even extreme pressure from, from even neo-tribalism groups. Do you do this and you act this way and you talk this way and if you don't come along with me and be the way I am, then there's going to be uh, extreme problems. Again, we, we, we live in this world and so we have to be ready to stand on this truth and know that God's going to be there with us all every step of the way. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and, and uh, God, I, I didn't make it as far as I wanted, but I think we made it as far as you wanted us to get. And God, I pray this morning that as I'm challenged and convicted, there are others who, who are challenged and convicted, and, and their, their souls were filled. They're ready to go out and, and uh, be more rooted and grounded in your truth. That there would be others in this room 
declaring, just like I am declaring right here from the stage, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray that, that, that we would turn to your word and, and seek this truth and, and, and strive to live this truth as we're going to see next week. And we would realize that when, when these hard times come, when this stuff happens, that, that, that you're, you're there with us all the time, Lord. You never leave us. You never forsake us. God, I, I do want to go back to the beginning of the message and talk about that noise that we were talking about. Talk about that most glorious noise of those, those nails being driven and, and your hands and feet. The blood that was shed, no doubt, dripping on the ground, plopping on the ground. Lord, it's, it's, it's a spectacular noise. It's a great covering for our sins. And I pray if there's anybody here that, that's still contemplating that horrible noise of hell, that now would be the time when you're convicting their hearts, the Spirit's moving, and they say, listen, I, I don't want to go to hell. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I want to choose Jesus Christ and, and, and by grace through faith and repentance of sin, I want to be saved in him. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here like that today that they wouldn't walk out of this place not knowing you. God, work and move now in this invitation. Help us to have a, a great, great rest of our day, Lord. And uh, we love you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.